Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back. We have been talking for the past about six weeks, maybe eight weeks now, about how do we have gospel conversations with our kids in all their different stages of life and stages even in terms of where their heart is, in terms of maturity spiritually. And we have talked about um, specifics. We have talked about ways we that Troy and I have messed it up. But today, a bunch of y'all have sent in questions over the last two months, asking me different things. I've tried to get back with y'all personally, but at the same time began to realize that there were a lot of people with some of these questions, things that maybe I wasn't very clear on and other things that you got into the middle of something with your child and kind of went, wait a minute, I don't really know what to do next. And so I just wanted to spend this time going over a bunch of those questions and seeing if we can start you off Because again, remember, we're on a journey. We're on a journey with our children, and we're definitely on a journey with Jesus. And he is not expecting you to turn into the perfect parent who knows what to do in every moment with your child and knows exactly how to communicate. And Because you know what? That perfection is reserved for Christ alone. He is inviting you to walk surrendered to him with the child he chose for you to walk with. And so many days I feel overwhelmed and unsure and maybe positive I'm messing it up or I've said it wrong and I've had to go clean things up with my child many, many times. But if we can look at some of the questions that we all seem to have, and maybe we can come up with some good ideas, good parameters. I think it would help. So that's what today is about. If you haven't listened to every other episode, I encourage you to go back and grab some of them. But for now, for today, I'm going to refresh everybody's memory. We broke our child's life between zero and 18 down into um, five stages. And the five stages are the preschool toddler stage, the elementary stage, the middle school stage, the teenage stage, and then the young adult stage. And we are, in essence, going to say that your infant, we're going to leave out of this picture. I hope that y'all all with your precious infant babies are loving them well and singing lots of beautiful songs of how much Jesus loves them. And as they grow and mature, they, you will know that they are in that toddler stage. 
the minute they can look at you and say no back to you, the minute they say mine, welcome to the toddler stage. That may be at 12 months, maybe at 15 months, maybe at 18 months, but somewhere in there, your little one is communicating and that's where they enter into the toddler preschool stage. For each of the stages, we tried to set aside a word that would signify for us what our long-term vision is for this part of their life. So in the preschool toddler stage, it's all about the what. In the preschool toddler stage, it's all about the who. Who is God? And then we move into the elementary years. And that really does start somewhere around kindergarten. And in this stage of life, we're beginning to say, what? What are these concepts? What is the gospel about? And then they move into the middle school years. And in the middle school years, it's all about the why. Why did God make me? Why am I valuable? Why is life important? Why, and looking at all the whys behind all the other parts of life, it's all about the why. And then in the teenage years, we talked about wisdom, being anchored in the word. And finally, in the young adult years, when we have walked them through the who and the what and the why and the wisdom We are leading them in a conversation about vision and having a kingdom perspective for their life here on earth. With each one of these stages, we also linked it to a statement. In the preschool toddler years, our statement was, you don't have to be good enough because God's love is big enough. And in the elementary years, we began to talk about the red thread of the gospel that flows through everything we see in the Bible. And the questions were, who is God? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? Who am I? And then in the tween years, it is, what does God think about you? That's a question we're going to center our conversation on. What does God think about you right now? And then in the teen years, it is, what does wisdom look like for you right now? And remember, we're talking about wisdom lining up with the word of God. Culture doesn't dictate wisdom. You and I don't dictate wisdom as their parents. Their peers do not dictate wisdom. Wisdom is anchored in the word. And then finally, the last The last part of it is that we want our children to choose him for whatever comes. And that becomes a kingdom living perspective. And that becomes a vision of faith that is deep because they understand the other points. And it is a continual cycle as our children age of walking them back through the who, the what, the why. Because as we ever go deeper in life, we have to be reminded again, who is God? You and I need these reminders. When you and I are struggling with a bad day at work 
or a friendship that's dissolving or hard relationships, we need to be reminded of who God is, that he is faithful and true and a friend to us. And we need to be, we need to remember what does the gospel hold for me here? And why am I important to God? Because my heart is hurting because I have been rejected. So these same cycles of conversations happen for you and me in friendships, in marriage, in all different conversations, but we're taking it and looking at it in light of our kids. So that's your fast catch up on eight weeks of content. And you can definitely go also, there's a down, a free download of this written on a piece of paper. So you do not have to take notes today. Um, that you can just go and get, it'll be in the show notes. So on to the questions. The first set of questions, I've tried to divide this by age because I feel like this, that's probably going to make the most sense to most listeners is we're going to talk about the preschool toddler questions that I got first. And, um, I think a number one question that I got is when I shared how we walk our children through conversations that are centered around discipline in those young years, I had a lot of questions about just the actual, like, well, okay, so how do you really do it kind of questions? And they were great questions. I had a question that, um, I mean, probably, I don't know how many of y'all, at least 10 sent me, well, so this question, we're going to talk about this one first. Well, what do I do if my child won't go to the bathroom? Because the way in our family, what we have chosen to do is I believe that the Holy Spirit, even with our youngest children, will work if we give him time and space and let the children get quiet. And so we will, if I have a child who is being disruptive for any reason or disobedient or mean to another sibling or struggling with kindness or whatever the infraction I have learned that the most powerful thing I can do first is remove that child from the situation to allow their feelings, their emotions to dissipate. And it is not a removal that is a rejection or a discipline. I did get asked that question a bunch. It is not a timeout. I do not call it timeout. I am not angry in the removal. I'm usually very, I try to be very compassionate and gentle because this child is usually at a height of emotion for whatever reason anyway. You know, they are struggling with sharing. They're struggling with obeying. They don't want to do what you're asking. They're struggling with their tongue. Whatever it is, they're going to be at a higher emotional level. And we always want to be very compassionate because our little ones struggle to communicate anyway. They are bursting with emotion They don't know how to communicate their emotion. And the natural response is going to be tears, fussing. We call them tantrums sometimes, all of that. And I don't discipline those tantrums. That was a question I was asked. Do you discipline the tantrums? I do not discipline the tantrum. The tantrum is just a spilling out of emotion. And I'm going to let that happen. Now, if I'm in public... I'm not going to let this child have this spilling out of emotion in public because it would be it wouldn't be wouldn't be right for me with my emotions to spill them out all over the place in public, right? So I'm even in that I'm going to 
compassionately pick this child up off the floor, even if this child is flailing in my arms and we're going to walk out, we're going to walk to the car, we're going to go wherever we can go in private, and I'm going to let all that emotion subside. So if I'm at home and have a child heightened in emotion that I need to remove from a situation, I need to be understanding that that emotion does not dictate my emotions. And so if you are a young mom, you may not know that emotions are contagious. You can have a, be having a great morning and one person wake up grumpy and on the wrong side of the bed and all of a sudden it just seeps through everybody in the house and we all all grumpy and terrible. It's contagious. So we always want to try and keep that forefront. And I usually literally will say to myself, Bethany, emotions are contagious. Do not let their emotions bleed on to you Um, when I'm, you know, helping a child calm back down. So you move. So if I'm asking a child to come to a bathroom and they don't want to go because they're already in heightened emotions, I'm going to remain with them in there. I am not, I am not forsaking them and shoving shoving them in a bathroom. Um, The reason we chose a bathroom in our home is because we have a lot of kids So with eight kids growing up, there just wasn't a space that there wouldn't be somebody who would just come and stare at them as they were having their moment of breakdown. And that's just not appropriate. Nobody needs other people staring at them like they're a science experiment when they're losing their mind and their heart is hurting. So the bathroom for me was a natural place. I have used now in later years with, with less and less younger children and more children who know not to go stare at people and look at them like they're a bug. I've used just my stairs. I've used just sitting in the kitchen with me while I'm doing work. Just come sit by my feet. Um, So that's not really a place. It's not because it's not a discipline. Really, I'm going to be with them. And we're going to let their emotions subside. And then we're going to have a conversation. And it's in the conversation that we're going to walk even our little bitties quickly. Remember we talked about in the preschool years. It's short. It's simple. It's a one sentence, two sentence for each highlighted point, this is what you did. Do you agree? Yes. Do you think it is kind, obey, obeying, whatever, honest, you know, do you think you told the truth? What, whatever it is, one sentence, yes or no. And then we talk about, well, what does God think? And remember, this is a beautiful opportunity. We're introducing God into this situation. And we are not introducing God as an angry God. That was a question that I was asked. Well, what do we say about what God thinks? Well, what does God think about our sin? He sent Jesus for our sin because he knew we needed a rescue plan. I think Sally Lloyd-Jones says it so beautifully in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this is the age where we read that Bible all the time. I read it all the time to my little bitties because I want that language to come flowing out of my mouth in these bathroom moments. That God has a never-ending, never-giving-up, never-stopping, steadfast love for you. And he has a rescue plan for you. And he sent a rescuer for you to rescue you from today. That's a good news for you, my little one. And then, yes, there will be a discipline dependent on what has happened. So remember, I'm not, I'm not rejecting the child. The t- there's not a timeout that has been instituted. I have removed the child from the drama place, allowed them to calm down, 
and then compassionately led them through looking at what they've done. And then we walk through with our discipline. We have different disciplines for different things. That was a question someone asked me. Um, And usually we walk them through and allow them to understand even why discipline would be needed. So if you have, you know, snatched a toy from your brother or your sister, then part of it is you're going to need to go and let, you know, hand it back to them and apologize. And, you know, for 10 minutes, you're not going to be able to play in that room with them. And that's sufficient because remember, we're, we're not so much looking at, and I want to encourage you when you are chasing the heart of your child and having conversations with the heart of your child, even when they're very, very young, when we walk them through understanding their heart and looking at their heart and assessing it a lot of time, not all the time, the conversation will lead your child to places of repentance. Not because you're manipulating them into it, but because they're beginning to understand that what they did does break relationship. And that's the terminology we use in our home. What, and we want to walk our child through how it broke relationship. Would you want to be treated that way, et cetera? These kind of questions. So that those are a lot of the questions I had from those very early years that go, they really bleed into the elementary years. We continue the methodology. Honestly, I will remove my teenagers to a quiet place to have conversation with me. It, it's not solely the little people. I have learned the power of quiet moments with my children and letting them as they get older, have moments before I come into them. So somebody had asked, well, what happens if they refuse to go in? Well, I'm going to give grant my presence, but secondary to that, I'm also training my child to understand that part of the discipline. So I'm training that child saying, I, I, I'm going to wait for this child to calm down their emotion, emotional part. And then I say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let you think for just one minute. And I usually act like mommy just has to go right outside the room and just something simple. So they know I'm not leaving because I'm not leaving them, but I want them to have just a quiet moment to think. And I say, I want you to think for one minute about why you're here. And when you come back, you can tell mommy. When I come back, you can tell mommy. So that I'm training this waiting time, this quiet reflection time. I do not expect my little ones to quietly reflect, but I'm training the concept. And as they get older, that is becomes the parent, the central part of this is the quiet reflection where a child who is walking with Jesus and has allegiance for Jesus, I am training and teaching them. You, it is not me you have an issue with. It is not me who you need to hear words about repenting from. It is not me who should be convicting you. These are things that the Holy Spirit does. So I'm giving you time and space to think about it, to reflect on it, and to share with me what God is telling you. Now, in an ideal moment with my elementary tween teenagers, that's going to happen beautifully and they, I'm going to walk back in and it's going to be this beautiful moment where they say, I totally see how I was fill in the blank. And man, that just totally broke the relationship with my brother, my sister, with you, with whoever at school, my teacher. Oh, I understand. Oh, how could I, you know, why would I be like that? 
and they're ready to pray. And then, then that's, then it's done, right? And the spirit of God is, has done beautiful counsel and beautiful teaching. But there are plenty of days where my child sits in there with their arms crossed, angry that they're in trouble and hardened in their heart. And so then my job and your job is to walk in and gently pry open the door of their heart, hear what they think, and be their escort to walk them around the rooms in their heart and let them, with the Spirit of God, look at what truly is hidden deep in there and give the space with no condemnation that says, I know you struggle with your sin. I struggle with my sin. And there's no shame in the sin. There's rescue for you. And rescue is First John 1, 9. You know, a rescue is Romans. We just walk them through these passages of rescue. And let God do his mighty work. So that's the beauty of working this out. It, I said it in all the different ages and stages. I'm going to say it again because I got the question. How long does it take? It can take a while. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It, it can take a while. You can be in the bathroom with a child who is angry and refusing to look at their stuff and closed off and shut down and you can long to know how to uncrack their heart and you are pleading with the Lord as you sit quietly in the bathroom too. But I promise you this, the time you invest in the bathroom (laughs) or wherever you do it with your child is heart time. It is holding the heart of your child time and it pays dividends in the older years. So if you have a young child right now and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to always be in the bathroom. You might, you want to keep it short and sweet and simple when they're little. So you're in and you're out, but you might, there might be days that that's what you feel like you do. And I promise you it will pay off more than the amount of laundry that's still piled up on your laundry room floor. It's, it's just worth it. I, I don't know how else to say it. All right. That's a big question. It took 20, took 20 minutes probably. Hang with me. Um, so, and the next question is, well then, if I'm moving into the, the what phase, making the gospel come alive, and you said, Bethany, that the questions were, who is God? Who are we? Who, what did Jesus do? And what does that mean to me? And the question was, I mean, how do I do that? And without going into lots of examples or those kinds of things, I'm going to encourage you to spend the time practicing in conversations that are not revolving around discipline. So in conversations about other things, or um, even in your own quiet time, do you know that every scripture verse is going to uh, to point to 
at least one of those questions, there's not a scripture verse that you could find that you're not going to see the gospel emblazoned on because the red thread of the gospel is everywhere. So if you in your spiritual walk are a little bit um, feeling unsure of the what, that's okay. It's okay. Spend time there with Jesus and let him strengthen you there. But constantly be returning to who is God in this Bible verse I'm reading? And what does it say about man in this Bible verse? And what does it say about Jesus and what he did? And, and then how does who God is and who I am and what Jesus did, how does it impact me? What does it say about me? What does it change about me? What is my response? And those questions are answered in every space of the word of God. So I think my answer for that question that I got of how on earth am I supposed to know how to uh, lead my children through the what the red thread? I think practically some of it is practicing it yourself inside of your own quiet time with the Lord. And then beginning to use tools, which is another question I got is, Bethany, what tools do you use? Because I don't know good books to use, or I don't know all the answers, or I've never learned it like this. I've never seen it like this. And I, it's not been modeled to me like this. How do you, how did you learn it? And I'm going to say, we just have used some beautiful tools. So I'm going to put in the show notes a bunch of different books that I love or authors. But for right now, if you're happening to listen right now and you're cleaning your kitchen and you're like, I wonder who, let me just say Sally Lloyd-Jones, amazing author, Jesus Storybook Bible. You can read it with your 17 and 18 year olds out loud at night around the table. Read it, read it over and over. Um, in the young years, I have loved using the play and pray Bible system. I have loved, loved, loved. There are so many picture books that are faith based so that we don't have to only be reading Berenstein Bears. We don't have to only be reading um, Amelia Bedelia or any of those books, although those are fine. Like we read aloud to our kids all the time, but put inside your library books by Max Lucado and R.C. Sproul and Francis Chan and um, Trulia Newbill and um, mm, forgetting his name. I'm going to put him in the show notes. Matthew. Any rate, um, put these picture books inside of your library. Pull them off the shelf and read the deep truths of God made alive in story form. Because you, you can read those books and children, we all process truths through stories. We all do. And so our children, when all of a sudden something is happening and you're in the bathroom talking to your child because they do not believe that they are liked or that they're good enough or whatever. And you can go, you know, it reminds me of the story of the Wemmicks that Max Lucado wrote about and how in, in that child will remember that story. And if you haven't read that story, you have to read that story. (laughs) 
But um, especially as you move into the identity years, you need to read those stories out loud. Read them with your bigger kids. They don't care. Be goofy. Read them anyway. They're good. Um, And the other thing that I will encourage in these elementary years, another tool that we use is we use, um, it is a, it is silly, but it's fantastic. It's called What's in the Bible with Buck Denver. It was written, it's put together by Phil Vischer, and um, it is a series of videos that just give the layout of the red thread of the gospel. And it takes you from Genesis all the way to the end of the Bible, breaking it down by books of the Bible, by concepts. They take all the big concepts, the big names, they define them. And honestly, for you and for me, my encouragement, sit with your kids. Watch them with your kids. Like learn. You don't know what the Davidic covenant is either. But it's so important and it's so amazing. And you can talk about the Davidic covenant because these silly little puppets have taught it to you. And just it's a wonderful resource for giving the what of the gospel, the red thread to our kids and to ourselves because we don't know it well. Most of us don't. I didn't. I'm still learning. Every time I sit down and listen to a Buck Denver with my kids, I walk away with new truths from God. So it's it's worth your time. It's 30 minutes. It's like VeggieTales. I think Phil Vischer made VeggieTales, and this was his project after that. It's great. Goofy, silly, and great. Um, and then the next, the last question I'm going to tackle is a big one for our older kids. And this question is, do you and Troy mandate a quiet time for your kids? And how do you do it? So a lot of questions I got was, well, how do you make your kids have a quiet time? I had some people say, do you make your kids have a quiet time? So I'm lumping it together. And the answer, the short answer is no. We do not mandate a quiet time. That may... Um, Other people may have very firm opinions the other way, and they may have lots of data from their own family that mandating that was a good thing. And so I would never argue that point like that. I will just say, this is our thought process. And I'm going to share ours. And I'm open to all of your comments back. I would love to hear your thoughts. But we do not mandate a quiet time for our children First of all, um, because what we do, we do a, what we would call a morning meeting, um, which is time around the table. That is a group, a family venture. Now, almost most mornings, my husband's not there because of the job he does. He goes in like five o'clock in the morning, but on the mornings he's there, he's apart. But, um, most of the time he isn't. And, um, and it's simply the time where we look at scripture and we're purposely walking through the word in different patterns. It may be one year we did, um, big, um, the attributes of God. One year we walk through the concepts of the fruits of the spirit. Um, one year in this past year, we have walked from 
Genesis through um, the books of um, history in the Old Testament. So through David and Solomon, basically. And um, and discussing it and how does it relate to us and conversations about well, where does how does this come alive and what does this mean? And so we are spending time where I am modeling how the word comes alive, how it is appropriate and um, applicable to our lives. And we talk about it in a big group setting. That is a must attend. Like if you are home, you must attend morning meeting. Um, so we mandate that group time. But where I believe, what I believe is that um, if I set out a, you must spend this prescribed amount of time doing this and such activity in a book um, every morning, then I am, and I know I'm going to step on toes here, I believe I shift something from being um, a spirit-driven activity into into being a performance-based checklist. Um. So I have chosen, we have chosen, not me, but um, we have chosen not to do that. We model having quiet times. Our children see us doing quiet time every morning. We have morning meeting, which is in essence a family quiet time. And then because I want them to understand, just like it says in 2 Timothy 3, you know, it says... um, that I'm going to blank on what it says. It says that the word of God is living. No, that's Hebrews. Second Timothy. And I really want them to understand that God's word, like it says in second Timothy three, that God's the scripture is breathed out by God and it is useful. It's useful for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness so that all of us are competent and we're equipped to do all the good things God has called us to do. I want them to begin to understand that concept that, you know, God's word is like, it's really useful. And then where it talks about in Hebrews, we, we quote this a lot, but I think, um, you know, I really want my kids to understand the word of God is living and active that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides through and it exposes our heart. It exposes the stuff. And that's what we talk about in bathroom moments and those things. And most times with my kids, as they're getting older, I am sending them to the word on their own saying the word will teach you. It will expose what you need exposure to, like what you need to see, like the, maybe even the, the junk in you, but it will bring you to understanding of God's grace and his mercy and his love for you. So I am pointing them to the word and asking them to spend time exploring the word. A lot of times in bathroom times when my kids get into the elementary and the the tween and teen years, because we're beginning to explore the why behind, right? We need to be in the word. And then when we're exploring wisdom, we need to be in the word. So they're learning to run to the word. They're learning to seek it. They're learning to want to know what it says because 
it does give us leadership and guidance. And what I love about Hebrews 4 is we quote that all the time, right? We talk all the time. I'm going to preach for just a second probably, but we talk all the time. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces through joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we stop there. But like the writer of Hebrews didn't stop there. It says then, and you know, the next verse says, no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Ooh, that sounds really laden, right? It's really kind of a scary space. And yet that next verse, because remember, we take our verses inside of context. And that next verse says, since we have such a great high priest, He's passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast our confession for we don't have a priest who can't sympathize with all of our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every respect, but is without sin. So we can come to him with confidence and draw near to him. So what we usually talk about is when when even we're talking about the word of God being alive and sharper than a sword, it is not for the sword's sake. It is for hope's sake, right? It's for Jesus' sake. And and the same is true here with our not mandating our kids spend time in quiet time to check a box. Because we want our kids to choose God when it's going to be super hard to choose God, right? That's what we're pushing them towards in wisdom anchored in the word and in kingdom living vision is we want them to see that Jesus is who I passionately need to love because he loves me way more than I can ever love him. And I think in 1 Peter 3, I think that becomes a mandate verse for us with our kids. And I'm going to close here. But 1 Peter 3, it says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope in you. And we talked about that um, our children cannot defend a faith that they have not explored the why under the what. We talked about that in gospel conversations with our tweens and our teens. So if you if you didn't hear that, you didn't hear that exploration, go back and listen. But our kids cannot defend a faith they don't understand the why. And when we sit on the what and we're only talking about the rules of the faith and um, what we do and we do this, and we do this, and we do that. And we don't descend down into the what the why behind it. Our kids won't defend it. They won't stand on it. They, But we want to create a generation of kids who honor Christ in their hearts. They have fallen in love with him. And they're prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks them the reason for the hope. But they do it with gentleness and respect. Because they've caught a vision for kingdom living that goes beyond a mandate, goes beyond checking boxes. So no, I don't make my kids check boxes of doing quiet times, but I'm walking with them constantly, pivoting them to the only hope they have and saying, you know, you need him. And if you explore his word, his word will answer this question for you. He will speak to you here. And then we constantly turn back to, well, who is God for you right now? And what does he think about you? And what is the red thread? And what is wisdom? And what is your vision? Because if your vision isn't walking in gentleness and respect, 
loving Jesus with all of your heart, defending him, then it's not kingdom living. So I hope that this answers some of the major questions that y'all have had. Again, you can always, always, always email me. Lots of people do. This is where these questions came from. You can email me more questions. It's fine. I love it. I will probably email you back personally, but these I felt like maybe we needed to spend some time openly with. You can find the download of the high points of ages and stages on my website. And also it will be in these show notes so that you can easily just download that for free. Also included in the show notes is a, how do you pray for your kids? Your child is in each of the different stages and how can you pray the word of God specifically for your child right where they are? So I have written a prayer guide for just your, our infants has a lot to do with sleep and peace in our own hearts and how we handle that hard stage. I've written one for teenagers and I have just a general one that's very easy to use with all of our ages of kids where literally it teaches you how to, if you don't know how to stand on the promises of God and pray them for your children. I want to encourage you to go and get one of those free download packets. I think it will help bless you and encourage you and take some of the lies and the, you're not doing it right fangs that always kind of want to hurt our heart on the days that we're not having good days. The truth is, I want to take those lies away and I want to impact you in such a way that your mindset is fixed on the gospel and you can walk confidently with him. Those guides I believe will help and I believe that ages and stages little conversational piece will help you. It will give you a place to start. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.